The Newtonian Lucretius by Monsieur Lesage Translated by C. G. Abbott This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Quote in all branches of knowledge the earliest systems are too limited too narrow too timid and it would even seem that the prize of truth is only won by a certain audacity of reason fontanelle in eulogy of cassini the aim of this memoir i propose to show that if the earliest epicureans had possessed as just ideas on cosmography as those of several of their contemporaries which they neglected and but a portion of the knowledge of geometry which had then been attained they would in all probability have easily discovered the laws of universal gravitation and its mechanical cause laws whose discovery and demonstration are the greatest glory of the mightiest genius that has ever lived and cause whose comprehension has long been the object of ambition of the greatest physicists and is now the stumbling block of their successors such things for example as the famous kepler's laws discovered scarcely two centuries ago and founded in part upon gratuitous conjectures and in part upon tedious gropings would have been nothing but special inevitable corollaries of the general knowledge which the ancient philosophers could easily draw from nature's own mechanism this conclusion is entirely applicable to galileo's laws on falling bodies whose discovery has been still slower and more contested moreover the experiments by which this discovery was established were so crude that they left the way open to interpretations which rendered them equally compatible with several other hypotheses which were in fact urged against him on the other hand the consequences of the theory of atomic collisions would have been unequivocally in favour of the sole right interpretation equal accelerations in equal times the union of the several branches of this conclusion forms not only a philosophic truth of extreme interest but one from which a very useful consequence may be drawn which is that in spite of the greater weight due to a posteriori researches a priori ones are not to be wholly neglected since they may greatly accelerate the success of the former already some impartial philosophers are agreed that such conjectures if lucid and capable of evaluation might be useful to the most rigorous physicists were it only in suggesting to them definite points of view from which to direct experiment in the place of that indecision in which the mere vague wish for new investigation has often left them let us clearly understand that such speculation is only permissible for the sake of occupation when the skill and patience which new observation and experiment require are lacking we ought to be thoroughly informed as to all previous observations and experiments on the subject and to keep this steadily in view in forming hypotheses which are to be tested by them with the aid of every help that mathematics can give in examining as to the exactness of their agreement finally it is such an agreement rather than any elaboration of method which brings conviction to most students of any physical theory and this whether they are aware of this agreement before their acquaintance with these methods or whether a study of the method led them to the agreement one 
if the disciples of epicurus had been as fully persuaded of the sphericity of the earth as they were of its flatness then instead of conceiving their atoms to move in nearly parallel paths as was suited to a directive force perpendicular to a plane surface they would undoubtedly have attributed to their motion normal to the surface of a sphere and consequently directed at all points towards its centre an example of such a condition as i have in mind would be furnished if it hailed simultaneously in all the countries of the earth two the following objection would of course have been raised by some to this view part of these atoms must necessarily encounter the moon before reaching the earth and by their pelting would push her toward us and on the other hand the force exerted upon those terrestrial objects which she shields would be less because of her interposition consequently we ought to see the moon descending and a part of the waters of the ocean rising to meet her as if rendered lighter by the interception of the atoms and consequently yielding their place to the adjacent waters in view of these objections the epicureans would have had to see if some phenomenon of this nature did not really exist they would have answered their opponents that the moon did not recede from us on a tangent but really did approach the earth at each instant and that the alternating motions of the ocean so accordant with those of the moon exhibited this very effect in question due to the inequality introduced in the stream of atoms by the interposition of this great body three the example of a pebble projected horizontally which circulates for a few moments about the earth before falling and longer in proportion as the motion is more rapid would have made it clear that the moon which occupies but a month in such a great journey might not of necessity actually approach the earth except in the sense of being nearer than if she had gone off on a tangent four a persistent antagonist fortified by some theorems of centrifugal force similar to those of huygens which are easily demonstrated by elementary geometry for polygonal orbits such as would result from intermittent collisions might further have objected that the motion of the moon was still sixty times too slow to prevent her actual approach to us taking into consideration the very considerable force of gravitation found at the surface of the earth upon this the epicureans would not have been slow to reply that since the distance from the moon to the centre of our globe is sixty times as great as our distance from this same centre the spherical surface having the radius of the moon's orbit is thirty-six hundred times as great as that of the earth so that if the outer surface were traversed by the same number of atoms as the inner their distribution would be thirty-six hundred times rarer and they would in consequence cause a gravitation thirty-six hundred times less this would be exactly that required by the theorems for this gravitating force would suffice to sustain at a distance sixty times as great a moving body whose absolute velocity was square root of sixty times less than that required by a body revolving at the surface of the earth five the parallelism of path which epicurus had introduced in the atomic theory of leucippus and democritus was not exact since had it been so these atoms all moving with equal velocity could never have come in collision but epicurus required that they should collide in order that he might explain the formation of compound bodies without assuming the intervention of a superior cause 
hence he supposed the paths of the atoms to be slightly inclined to each other and it is well known that the introduction of the correction subjected him to many pleasantries and objections from philosophers of other sects six if however epicurus had embraced the doctrine of the convergence of the atoms toward a centre undoubtedly his opponents would have attacked this hypothesis quite as vigorously the epicureans in replying would have been able to explain this convergence by returning to the system of lucippus and democritus as follows imagine the atoms to move fortuitously in every direction and let us trace the result in the case of a body near the earth all the atoms coming toward the body from the direction of the earth would be cut off by it while from all other directions the body would be subjected to uninterrupted bombardment consequently there would be a resultant motion of the earth that is in the line of diminished resistance and this resultant motion would be exactly the same as if the bombarding atoms all converged toward the earth's centre instead of moving fortuitously seven the epicureans would have even seized with avidity upon this occasion to give an air of disorder to the primitive movements of the universe for these would accord the better with their system of the origin of things otherwise sufficiently absurd and impious that there was no appearance of parallelism perfect or imperfect whereas all tendency to parallelism would appear to be the result of some particular design and consequently to indicate the operation of some intelligent being eight i speak of disorder in connection with primitive movements only the resultant motion of bodies having inertia would be directed toward the centre of our globe with great exactness in consequence of the combination of a vast number of impulses in different directions for it is a well-known result of the doctrine of chances that minor irregularities when in great number mutually compensate each other exactly so that each several inequality becomes imperceptible in its effect upon the resultant nine still another consideration would have led the atomists to make this same modification of the direction of motion of the gravitational atoms all will agree with me that they were certain to have met with one or other of these two objections or to have themselves raised them as the earth revolves without cessation about the sun the hypothesis that all the atoms are directed toward the centre of the earth would have required that each new shower of atoms must seek it in a different direction from that followed by the shower next proceeding a condition not in accord with the predilection of the sect of the epicureans for the operation of chance nor with their antipathy for occult qualities ten in order to extricate themselves from this difficulty the atomists would necessarily have rejoined that there was no place in the heavens equal in dimension to the earth toward which there did not advance in a given time quite as many atoms as our planet encounters in the same portion of time and that these other atoms were in motion exactly like those encountered by the earth not that there was any particular relation between places and the streams setting toward them but since it was essentially a confused movement equal areas must naturally intercept one equally as much as another the paths of the atoms which blindly traverse space and in consequence they must be equally exposed to their visits eleven 
when once the epicureans were thus come to explain the matter so neatly the most thoughtful and curious among them would certainly have followed out the consequences which could be easily deduced from the hypothesis and they would necessarily have arrived at the following propositions one the atoms which pass to one side of any central body contribute nothing to the force of gravitation which it exercises toward other bodies for such atoms are exactly counterbalanced by direct antagonists gravitation would be due solely to those atoms which are fortuitously directed toward the central body as we have seen the resultant action of these atoms is everywhere directed toward the central body like the rays of light converging toward a focus when assembled by a convex lens or a concave mirror hence it is proper to apply to them what has been proven in paragraph four touching the terrestrial gravitation that is to say the gravitational effect is inversely proportional to the square of the distance of the attracted body from the central body two the gravitational atoms are directed not only toward the centres of the greater bodies but toward each of their particles as well since they move indiscriminately in all directions in space the atoms moreover act effectively in those directions in which their antagonists are intercepted that is to say in all directions in which there are particles of matter therefore they tend to move the heavy masses which they encounter not toward the heavenly bodies in gross but toward each of their particles in detail hence the gravitation of masses toward the centre of a celestial body is nothing but the resultant of an imperceptible movement of the masses toward all parts of the great body as from certain passages of cicero and plutarch it appears had been before supposed by some of the ancients consequently this gravitation would be proportional to the number of the particles that is to say to the mass of the central body now from these two propositions alone there might have been deduced synthetically the entire theory of universal gravitation without further mention of gravitational atoms twelve this is the place to insert a certain proposition which is commonly spoken of as if it were distinct from those which teach that gravitation is universal but which appears to me to be included in that expression i refer to that which affirms that gravitation is mutual or reciprocal or in other words that it is subject to the ancient law of mechanics which states that action and reaction are equal i say that this is the place to consider this proposition because it can equally well be proved either through the introduction of the agent of gravitation as i have done in preceding paragraphs or by considering gravitation abstractly as i shall do in those which follow this proposition therefore forms as it were a gradation between those which i have established by the first method and those which i shall establish by the second first method inasmuch as one body is pushed toward another by the atoms which the second body has deprived of direct antagonists while the latter body is pushed toward the former by these same antagonists the two bodies are necessarily pushed toward each other with equal force whatever be the inequality of their masses or the differences in their forms second method since each particle of one of the two bodies tends toward every particle of the other the first body is urged toward the second with a force proportional to the number of particles which the second contains or in other words with a force proportional to the mass of the second furthermore since the impetus or momentum of the first body is the summation of the impetus of its separate particles it is proportional to the total mass of the first body 
thus it follows that the impetus of the first body is proportional to the product of the masses of the two bodies by a similar train of reasoning the impetus of the second body is also proportional to this product therefore the usual bodies are urged together with equal forces thirteen i am now in a position to examine what other consequences the ancients would probably have drawn from the principle of a mutual gravitation directly proportional to the masses and varying inversely as a square of the distance for the sake of brevity the mechanical cause may be left out of consideration in the discussion as these philosophers would have foreseen many difficulties in rigorously testing every consequence to see if it coincided exactly with observation and would therefore have refrained from embarking upon so serious a task before perceiving that the deductions accorded in gross with the results of experience i presume they would not seriously have applied geometry and computation to this gravitation without having first determined by simple reasonings what approximately would be the effects flowing from it and seeing that these conjectures accorded roughly with the real constitution of the universe i believe i do no violence to probabilities in presuming that the ancient philosophers would have been acquainted with some such reasonings having fewer matters than we to distract their attention they were able to make very exact deductions in subjects requiring nothing but meditation with reference to the acquired knowledge which would be needed in such reasonings it will be recalled that the theory of conic sections had been discovered and cultivated before the birth of epicurus that archimedes had made great advance in the doctrine of centres of gravity and that the ancient geometers and especially the last named employed approximations with great ingenuity when they were unable to attain to rigorous precision fourteen encouraged by these first successes and animated by the grandeur of the enterprise it is highly improbable that these ardent and subtle geometers would have stopped here they would doubtless have invented for the purpose some means for passing from the ratio of sensible quantities to that of their imperceptible elements and conversely from elementary quantities to their summation at least for the simple case required when one wishes to avoid the numerical computation of the small anomalies of the movements of the celestial bodies certainly they had sufficient patience and sagacity to succeed in finding such a method since they had had enough of these qualities to discover and advance in considerable degree the admirable doctrine of incommensurables and of exhaustions although these were not ordinarily used except in the consideration of the five regular bodies and were specially derived it is said to examine certain very hazardous and even fantastic conjectures of the pythagoreans and platonists fifteen practically if one omits from the theory of central forces those curious propositions and generalizations which can only be regarded as its luxuries as well as the delicate evaluations which are required only for the perfecting of astronomical tables all the rest may be demonstrated sufficiently for the uses of the physicist by the aid of lemmas less exact and universal than those of the calculus this has indeed been pointed out in some degree by several geometers but it may be realized still further if the reader will undertake by the same or analogous means of simplification to attack other propositions than those already so treated 
but the probability that the ancients would have been able to accomplish such demonstrations is still less necessary to the plan which i have proposed to myself as stated at the beginning of this essay than the probability that they would have discovered the simple relations mentioned in the thirteenth paragraph consequently the reader may if he prefers ignore the last three paragraphs and give attention only to matters which i have expressly engaged to establish sixteen i declared that the laws of kepler were necessary consequences of the doctrine that gravitation results from the impulsion of atoms moving in every direction since kepler's laws follow directly from those of newton i ought however to show for the benefit of readers less versed in the matter where it may be found proved that the first mentioned laws are the natural consequences of the second first that the law of areas proportional to times is a necessary consequence of gravitation always directed toward a single point is demonstrated by elementary geometry in the first proposition of newton's principia second that the law of squares of periodic times proportional to the cubes of the distances for bodies appearing to describe circles must necessarily follow from a gravitation inversely proportional to the square of the distance constitutes the second part of the sixth corollary to proposition four of the same work and may be demonstrated by elementary methods also for regular polygons which represent more nearly than exact circles the orbits traversed by bodies diverted slightly from their path by intermittent collisions third that the ellipticity of an orbit is the necessary consequence of gravitation directed toward its focus and reciprocally proportional to the square of the distance is the converse of proposition eleven of the same book this proposition has been more simply demonstrated as a consequence of the fifteenth of book three of the conics of apollonius i may pause here since in maintaining that the laws of kepler are an easy consequence of the system of atoms i have not pretended that their application to complex cases readily follows from the slight knowledge of geometry possessed by the ancients nevertheless i may add fourth that the proposition eleven of the principia once attained it does not appear to me difficult to establish the fiftieth which extends our second consequences to ellipses that is to say which proves that in ellipses as well the squares of the periodic times about an attracting body placed in one of the foci are proportional to the cubes of the mean distances seventeen let us now see how the laws of galileo may be derived from the hypothesis of the impulsion of the atoms the blows of corpuscles moving with a velocity more rapid than light upon a body which has fallen three or four seconds would be sensibly of the same strength as the preceding blows had been upon the same body when it had only fallen one or two seconds hence the successive accelerations of the body in equal times must be sensibly equal and the velocity at any instant must be sensibly proportional to the time elapsed since the beginning of the fall from this it follows necessarily that the spaces traversed since the beginning are sensibly proportional to the squares of the total times and will be sensibly proportional to the successive odd numbers eighteen these synthetic demonstrations of laws of falling bodies by the introduction of mechanism whose existence is only surmised may perhaps be less philosophical than analytic demonstrations which are based entirely upon observed phenomena still 
it must be recalled that in cases where direct observation has been difficult and inexact error has frequently attended deductions of this latter kind at all events the former kind of demonstration is much more philosophical than a gratuitous hypothesis which is nevertheless the means of invention employed by galileo and its results are quite as well established as are the laws of galileo since they are proved by exactly the same means that is by the sensible accord of their consequences with the phenomena nothing else than this is claimed by galileo himself and his principal successors nineteen but the atomists would have encountered one very serious objection to which they were necessarily exposed in common with all physicists who undertake an explanation of gravitation for by having thickness a roof receives not a whit more of hail or a shield of arrows whereas remaining otherwise unchanged the weight of all bodies is augmented in direct proportion of their thickness conversely when one removes a heavy body from a shop or dwelling or reduces it to sheets exposed without protection to material influences the rain for example it receives more than when protected or concentrated so as to present a small surface but it has never been found by merchants and artisans who are continually in the habit of weighing that bodies appear heavier in open air than when under cover and gold-beaters have never perceived that the weight of the metal augments in proportion to the increase of its surface in a word if the collision of atoms is the cause of heaviness the weight of bodies ought to be proportional to their surface or rather to their horizontal projection how then does it happen that the weight is proportional to the mass do the gravitational atoms then act across the thickest and most compact envelopes of all substances as fully as through the air and does not the very sensible weight which they impart to these envelopes demonstrate the contrary that is that all substances arrest the passage of a great number of corpuscles twenty to this the epicureans would have been forced to respond that the atoms doubtless traverse very freely all heavy bodies as freely for example as light passes through diamond and magnetic matter through gold though one of these bodies is the hardest and the other the heaviest of all known bodies which shows that they are less porous than most substances thus the number of atoms which are intercepted by the first layers of a heavy body would be absolutely insensible relatively to the number of those which pass through the last layers nevertheless the relatively small number intercepted would produce a sensible action upon the body since they have in virtue of an immense velocity the force of impact which they would lack by reason of their small mass twenty one a second difficulty which would have embarrassed the more scrupulous atomists is that the mutual collision of the atoms would retard their motions repeatedly and diminish consequently the gravitational action any such effect nevertheless has hitherto been imperceptible now it would be useless to offer in explanation that the sum of the motions would remain the same since this is only true when the word sum is used in the sense of geometers who comprehend by it the difference of contraries such a definition is readily seen to offer no assistance to the atomist in the case of equality of contrary movements for the algebraic sum of the motions of the atoms is zero before as after the collision but before the collision 
they were capable of effects of which they are incapable afterwards. 22. It is apparent that such mutual encounters would be the more rare the smaller the atoms were supposed to be compared with the intervals between them. These intervals cannot, however, be assumed very great, since gravitation manifests no sensible interruption even in places and times the most adjacent, so that the only conceivable recourse to render the encounter of the gravitational atoms sufficiently rare is to suppose them extremely small. Happily, this device is completely sufficient. Conceive two balls whose center strays given courses in different planes. In order that they may never meet, it suffices to diminish the sum of their semi-diameters till it becomes less than the least distance between their paths. But since, with diminishing size, the atoms would be less efficient to produce gravitation, the intensity of which is fixed by phenomena, it is necessary to see if their effectiveness may be maintained by some other properties. I see no recourse of this nature except in the increase of individual density or of velocity. These two recourses appear very natural, and are at the same time the more satisfactory because they were, very probably, in accord with the spirit of the atomists of whom I speak, and would probably have sufficed to close the mouths of their adversaries. 23. Third Difficulty each celestial body perpetually finds atoms in its path, which it necessarily displaces in passing onward. This cannot occur without the atoms communicating to the body a part of their motion, and in consequence causing its retardation. Exclusive of all other elements except the mass displaced, this retardation is proportional to the density of the medium made up of these atoms and their interstices now the gravitation of the body exclusive of all other elements than these atomic mass is proportional to this same mean density how then can it be that the retardation is imperceptible while the gravitation is so sensible the objection is rendered the more forcible when we consider that the retardation of a revolving body is brought about by all the atoms which it meets in its orbit while its gravitation is produced only by those which at any one position in its orbit are directed toward the central body. 24. Reply. Other things being equal, the force of gravitation, being produced by the single stream of atoms deprived of antagonists, is proportional to the square of the velocity of the atoms, by a proposition demonstrated generally, while the retardation above spoken of being caused by the stream opposing the planet in its motion is proportional to the product of this velocity of the atoms by that of the revolving body as we shall prove directly consequently things being equal the gravitation is to the retardation as the velocity of the atoms is to that of the revolving body now it is not hard to believe that the velocity of the atoms is greater than that of the revolving body and indeed all that we have heretofore said would lead to the presumption that it is incomparably greater. Hence the system of thin-sown atoms, moving in every direction, agrees very well with a condition of gravitation incomparably greater than the retardation, and it agrees still, despite the consideration which fortifies the difficulty which we are considering, since the velocity has always been assigned to the atoms greater than would have been necessarily to obviate this latter difficulty alone remark i have said 
that the retardation of a great body caused by the opposing stream of atoms moving much more rapidly than the body itself would be proportional to the product of the velocity of the atoms by that of the great body i shall first demonstrate this proposition with respect to the couple of opposed streams parallel to the direction of the great body and in so doing i shall have proved it for the case of opposing streams oblique to this direction since their motions may be decomposed in two directions the one parallel and the other perpendicular to the direction of the body of which the first is nearly always much greater than the motion of the body and of which the second produces no effect demonstration the total retardation of the body is the excess of the simple retardation it experiences from the stream which it encounters over the simple acceleration which it experiences on the part of the stream which pursues it now these simple factors are proportional to the squares of velocities which are respectively the sum and difference of the absolute velocity of the atoms and the absolute velocity of the body consequently the resultant retardation is proportional to the excess of the square of the sum over the square of the difference which by the eighth proposition of the second book of the elements of euclid is four times the product of the absolute velocities in question twenty five to the three difficulties above mentioned may be reduced all those which are plausible since there can be no other changes in the motions of a heavy body or in the motions of the gravitational fluid or in their constitution except those which proceed from some opposition or interposition either on the part of the particles of the heavy body which hinder the atoms composing the fluid from reaching their destination or from particles of the fluid itself the one opposing the other or finally from the effect of the latter on the path of the heavy body the solutions of all these difficulties depend either on the permeability of the heavy body or the subtlety and rapidity of the gravitational atoms properties to none of which we are obliged to assign two opposing limits this last expression signifies that while several considerations may unite to augment the intensity of such or such property yet no consideration requires a diminution in the intensity of the same property and that reciprocally no considerations tend to limit the diminutiveness of properties of which certain other considerations limit more and more the magnitude there are no conditions which give opposing indications and which therefore obstruct the choice of remedies this assertion would be tedious to establish but very few readers will contest its correctness twenty six while we speak of alterations and remedies it is for me to conform to the irregularities of our ordinary progress in research truth never permits us to discover her at first seeking with all her following train of verities but we proceed gradually in discovery by tedious gropings and corrections to this procedure a writer ought also in some measure to conform in the exposition of truths which he has finally discovered when the greatness or smallness of the objects discussed transcends that of the majority of those objects with which we are familiar and when he believes that his reader will not at first be disposed to countenance suppositions so excessive but only in a measure as he shall have shown him their necessity for the reader will have had no perspective to apply to this immensity or that diminutiveness if it has been assumed at the start in sufficient measure to satisfy all phenomena the author might with equal justice assume at the start 
a magnitude or diminutiveness sufficient for the purpose since in explaining the phenomena the physicist takes the place so far as he may of the creator a being who having determined precisely in advance all the consequences of the different intensities which might be given to such or such properties has chosen in each case that intensity most proper to attain the desired result and has precisely determined the consequences without any preliminary trial twenty seven all other conceivable objections are founded on certain regularities or irregularities of detail which have not been minutely set forth but gratuitously assumed and which in consequence ought not seriously to be taken into account or in the second place such objections may be founded on the tenets of some metaphysical sect before responding to such objections i pray these metaphysicists to first agree among themselves or finally they address themselves to the imagination rather than to the understanding thus some may be shocked at what in this system is extreme strange or extraordinary as if it was after our gross and limited measures that the subtlety and grandeur of nature must be evaluated as if a confused repugnance sufficed to condemn a theory which depends neither on taste nor sentiment or as if one ought to follow servilely the beaten track even in researches where no success has ever come to those who have followed it twenty eight if one is satisfied with the exact agreement of this system with physical astronomy and with terrestrial phenomena he ought not to distrust it as if this apparent conformity were the effect of the artfulness with which i have adjusted matters or as if other systems also might be rectified so as to agree throughout with the phenomena should a hand more skilful take the same pains to accommodate them to each other i have not added to the atoms sung by lucretius any feature directed solely toward the explanation of the great laws discovered by the moderns but on the contrary i have merely divested the motion of these atoms of an arbitrary feature the nearly perfect parallelism by which epicurus had disfigured the unrestricted motion assumed by democritus that was a motion so simple that it would appear as if its inventor had proposed it with no other end but the most absolute simplicity unconcerned that it might in no way explain real phenomena but rather perhaps contradict them so that it is impossible that any system can equal this in simplicity i would even have had no need to advise myself of this correction in reading the poem of lucretius if i had been instructed beforehand in the system of lucippus and democritus as i was long after this reading finally the explanations which i have offered ought not to be regarded as in any respect modifications of this system of atoms for it would be impossible not to follow upon these explanations in seeking to follow out the necessary consequences of this system twenty nine i did not take undue credit to myself when as a child i rectified the system taught by lucretius and drew from it immediately its most important consequences for this was extremely easy or rather entirely natural besides i knew but little more the value and solidity of my little views than the child ordinarily knows the wit or sense which we find in its repartees and sallies indeed the extremely simple idea of trying to explain the principal natural phenomena by the aid of a subtle fluid vigorously agitated in every direction has come to many writers who have before presented it in a vague and ill-assured fashion 
not to mention that there has been without doubt a still greater number who have not even deigned to communicate at all i am well convinced that since the law governing the intensity of universal gravitation is similar to that for light the thought will have occurred to many physicists that an ethereal substance moving in rectilinear paths may be the cause of gravitation and that they may have applied to it whatever of skill in the mathematics they have possessed thirty but we may say how is it that none of these physicists have pushed these consequences to their conclusion and communicated their research doubtless because the most of them having no clear view of this chaos of which the first glances i admit frightful they have not known how to disentangle it and subject it to their calculations or not having firmly grasped the principles of the theory they have allowed themselves to be seduced by specious sophisms by which men have pretended to refute in advance all imaginable explanations of gravitation or they will have had the foible of bowing to the authority of great names when it is alleged whether justly or falsely that they have pronounced upon the possibility of this or upon the uselessness of that branch of knowledge or they have lacked sufficient love of truth or courage of their convictions to abandon easy pleasures and exterior advantages in order to devote themselves simply to researches at a time difficult and little welcome or finally they have failed to become impressed with the strength and fecundity of this beautiful system so distinctly as to lead them in their enthusiasm to sacrifice to it their other views and projects appendix constitutions which i assign to heavy bodies and to the gravitational fluid followed by a mathematical conception and some remarks to fix the ideas of geometers who desire to follow out for themselves the consequences of this mechanism and who may desire first to know precisely what are the hypotheses from which i claim all the phenomena to follow necessarily constitution of heavy bodies first their indivisible particles or cages for example hollow cubes or octohedra they are in other words skeletons of solids of which there is nothing material except the edges second the diameters of the bars of these cages even if supposed increased by the diameters of the gravitational corpuscles as they must be in order to conveniently evaluate the portion of the atoms intercepted are so small relative to the distances between the parallel bars of the same cage that all the particles included in the terrestrial globe intercept not the ten thousandth part of the corpuscles which present themselves to traverse it third these diameters are all equal or if they are unequal their inequalities sensibly compensate each other if for instance in the smallest portion of matter separately ponderable which it has been stated may weigh one thirty-second part of a grain the mean diameter of the bars of the one portion does not differ a tenth part from the mean diameter of the bars of the other then it would follow that in the greatest ponderable masses the mean diameters do not differ by a ten thousandth part for every such great ponderable mass is composed of so large a number of indivisible particles that simple chance suffices to almost perfectly effect a compensation of diameters constitution of gravitational corpuscles first 
conformably to the second of the preceding suppositions the diameter of the gravitational corpuscle added even to that of the bars of the indivisible particles is so small relatively to the mutual distance of the parallel bars of a single cage that the weight of celestial bodies does not sensibly vary from the ratio between their masses second the gravitational corpuscles are isolated so that their progressive movements are necessarily rectilinear third they are so thinly scattered that is to say their diameters are so small relative to their mutual mean distance that there are no more than a few hundreds which encounter one another in the course of a thousand years hence the uniformity of their movements is never sensibly disturbed fourth they move in several thousands of thousands of different directions even counting as one all those which are parallel to the same line the distribution of these directions may be conceived as follows first imagine all the points conceived to lie in different directions strewn upon a sphere as uniformly as is possible and consequently separated from one another by less than a second of arc then imagine a corpuscular path radiating from each of these points fifth parallel to each of these directions there moves a stream of torrent of corpuscles now in order to give it no more than the necessary size the transverse section of this current has the same contour as the orthogonal projection of the visible universe upon the plane of this section sixth the different parts of a single current are sensibly of equal density either where contemporary portions of sensible magnitude or successive portions occupying sensible times in traversing a given surface are compared the densities of different currents are also equal seventh the mean velocity determined in the same manner as the mean density is also sensibly constant eighth this velocity is several thousand times as great relative to the velocities of the planets as is the gravitation of the planets toward the sun relative to the greatest resistances which secular observations permit us to suppose their experience for example several hundred times greater relative to the velocity of the earth than the gravitation of the earth toward the sun multiplied by the number of times the firmament would contain the disk of the sun is greater than the greatest resistance which the secular differences in the length of the year permit us to suppose the earth experiences from celestial matter concept which facilitates the application of mathematics to determine the mutual influence of the heavy bodies and the corpuscles first decompose all heavy bodies into equal masses so small as to allow them to be treated without sensible error as attractive particles are treated in those theories of gravitation in which no hypothesis is made as to its cause in such a small mass the effects of unequal distance and position of its particles relative to those of the mass which is conceived to attract it and to be attracted by it may be neglected such masses will have a diameter no more than one one hundred thousandth as great as the mutual distance of the two masses under examination thus the apparent semi-diameter of one as viewed from the other does not exceed one second second for the surfaces of this mass accessible but impermeable to the gravitational fluid substitute a single spherical surface equal to their sum third decompose these first surfaces into facets sufficiently small to be treated as planes without sensible error fourth transport all these facets to the spherical surface above mentioned 
each one of the facets should in this transformation occupy that point of the spherical surface at which the tangent plane is parallel to the original position of the facet remarks first it is not necessary to be very expert to deduce upon these suppositions all the laws of gravitation both terrestrial and universal and consequently those of kepler and some others with as much of precision and more as the phenomena themselves furnish for these laws are the inevitable consequences of the constitutions i have supposed second although i here present these constitutions crudely and without proof as if they were gratuitous hypotheses and adventurous fictions the fair-minded reader will perfectly comprehend that i have at hand some presumptions at least in their favour independent of the perfect accord with all the phenomena but which i withhold as too extended for development in this place these suppositions may then be regarded as theorems published without demonstration third their number is likely to inspire some opposition at first glance but the attentive mind will not fail to see that they are but details into which i have wished to enter because of the novelty of this doctrine and that they will be readily understood when it shall have become sufficiently well known that its students may attend under favourable circumstances to the details if the authors who have written upon hydrodynamics aeronautics or optics have had readers who doubted the existence of water air and light and who consequently indulged no tacit supposition upon equalities or compensations of which no express mention was made they too would be obliged to add a great number of explanations to their definitions which instructed or indulgent readers might well dispense with we do not accept of hints and sano sensu except for propositions which are familiar and in whose favour there is a predisposition end of the newtonian lucretius by Monsieur Lesage.